Lamed Kislev, Rosh Chodesh Tevet, Tafshin Ainchet, coming to you live from the headquarters of Ariel Tours in New York. I'm Mayor Weingarten. Welcome to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. <laughs> Beats. We don't often get to play their music here, as it's uh, American, not Israeli music. We play Israeli music on the Israel show, but today we have an opportunity to do so, so we're proud and happy to do so. Welcome one and all. Welcome into the Israel show this week's Rosh Chodesh and Hanukkah edition of the Israel show. We are here each and every Monday, live, immediately following Jame in the AM, 9 AM Eastern, 4 PM Israel time. And if you're somewhere else, if you're not in the Eastern Time Zone, you're not in Israel, anywhere around the world that you are and listening, and I know there are many of you, I know there are people in Australia listening, I know there are people in uh, Germany listening, in South Africa, in South America, I'm, I'm well aware of that, and I thank you so much for listening wherever you are. So what time is it on where you are? Well, whatever time it's on, that's the time it is. That's all I can say. Or whatever time it is, that's the time it's on. <laughs> Thankfully, this is uh, an international radio network. And you can uh, listen to uh, us anywhere at any time. Of course, we're also available on demand at NachumSiegel.com and on the great NachumSiegel Network app. Hanukkah! Tavshin Ayin Chet. Wow! Haven't we come a long way since the days uh, in the 1200s when the song Maoz Tzur was written? We'll talk a little bit about that. And um, we'll share with you um, a version of the Ma'oz Tzur that adds another paragraph. And we'll explain why that makes sense. We'll talk about the New York Times, the former newspaper, the New York Times, their editorial 
um, about Yerushalayim and what is so wrong with it and about it. I mean, everything about the New York Times is wrong. <laughs> but this in particular was egregious. And uh, great, great Israeli Hanukkah music. There is great Israeli Hanukkah music, let me tell you. And, um, yeah, let's give you that um, that new version of Mao's tour. It was um, Melody by Yochai Ben-Avi. We've played some of his music. He's accompanied by the Ayelet HaShachar Orchestra, and he does uh, an original melody of Mao's tour, obviously, usual classic words, but then he adds a stanza. And we'll tell you about that as we um, come out of that song. So here it is, Mao's Tzur. A lot of the songs this uh, this show are going to be called Mao's Tzur <laughs> or something of that uh, der- derivative. Thank you so much for tuning in. Stay with us. We're here for... Uh, for the duration of the hour. My name is Mayor Weingarten. Happy Hanukkah from the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. Yochai ben uh, Ari, Yochai ben Avi, I'm sorry, Yochai ben Avi, and the Ayelet HaShachar Orchestra doing uh, that new version, new uh, new melody, and a new paragraph added to the end of Ma'oz Tzor. So why would we add a paragraph at the end? And what does the paragraph have in it that uh, makes it interesting and appropriate? So the, the it goes, Nodel Itzur HaYeshuot, we thank Tzur, the, the rock, the same Tzur in the Ma'oz Tzur at the beginning, right? God who is the rock. Uh, 
of uh, of Israel, who is a redeemer, Hayeshuot, Al Geula Asher Hechel. We thank him for the beginning of the redemption, the redemption that has begun. In the understanding here that with the state of Israel and the return to Yerushalayim and so forth, and and the 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 growth and the taking root of the state of Israel as it has, that the Gula has begun. It's a process, and it will continue to grow, as we've said many times. Through great miracles, God has taken the uh, people of Israel and brought them back to their uh, to their homeland. And now the... Uh, now the author is saying, as a tefillah, to the people of your covenant, the Jewish people, bring a goel, bring the Redeemer, and may his light glow forever. Obviously, the reference to the light and candles. We have Yahel in Tehillim, Nero Ale Roshi That's probably from there. Navo El will come to your house. As in the beginning at the most or Tikon Beit Tefilati, the house of your of worship, of, of Tfilah, of prayer. So Navobitcha El Mikdashcha to your temple, Bihlay Nagen Vishir Halel. Singing and playing instruments and that are accompanying the song of thanks and praise, actually, not thanks, Halel praise. No Delitsura Yeshuot al Geula Asher Hechel, Berufni Simvni Flaot, Kibet Samobet Israel, Livne Britcha Have Goel, Vilaad Oro Yahel, Navo Betcha El Mikdashcha, Bechlei Nagen Vishir Halel. A worse with the traditional melody as well. So why is it appropriate suddenly at the end of Mo's Tzur, um what does this have to do with anything? Why are we talking about the uh, beginning of the Gula process and, and returning back to the land of Israel? And it, it fits in with, an, uh, with the understanding of what it is that most sort means. The funny thing is that as much as it's become the song for Hanukkah over the generations, it's really not a, a song about Hanukkah. It's like, uh, I think we've mentioned it before and we have to deal with it again, most of the stances in that song are not about Shabbat. Right? So there's a reason for that. But here, this song was seemingly written, as we said, in the 1200s. We don't really know much about the author. His name is Mordechai. It's in the acrostics. It is about the difficulties and terrible situation of the Jews in the Galut and how God takes them and redeems them out. And so it is appropriate to add a stanza about this latest Geula from the Galut. So if, in fact, this Jew, Mordechai, in, in, presumably it was in Germany that he lived, uh, is, uh, is living through the horrors of the Crusades, the Christian, the Catholic Crusades, as they were on their way to the Holy Land to redeem Jerusalem from the hands of the Muslims, and on their way, they made sure to kill as many Jews as they can. One of the darker periods in a terribly dark, long period for the Jewish people. So this Mordechai is sitting in his uh, in his home, and he's he basically has nothing. He has no army. He has no defense. He's surrounded by the Goyim, who basically all want to kill him. And he he sees God as his rock of salvation, as his the only rock that he can count on, so to speak. And he's dreaming about when the day will come, the day will come when you, God, will slaughter from Tevach, will slaughter the barking foe, our enemies who are like dogs. That's that's pretty hefty non-PC language, but remember, first of all, we, there's no reason that we should be so PC. We can say that our our enemies are like dogs. There's no reason to say that people that want to kill us are are humane. But um, he his feelings are so strong and so passionate about the danger that he's in and about the horrificness of our enemy and what will happen when God ultimately 
wipes out our enemy by slaughtering them and massacring them, as then then we will celebrate with song um, the rededication or the dedication of the Mizbeach, of the altar in the Beit HaMikdash. So there's maybe a little reference to Hanukkah, but that's really not the total totality of Hanukkah here. There are one, two, three, four, five, six verses in the original, and the uh, each one refers to uh, a different galut. So the, the second one refers to the galut from Egypt. The third one refers to the galut in Babel, where we were sent away for 70 years and came back. Ketz Babel, Zeru Babel, Ketz Shivim Noshati, at the end of Bavel, Zerubavel was the leader of the Jewish people as they were coming out of Bavel. After 70 years, I was redeemed. Then the next one is about Purim. And the next one is about Hanukkah. That the Yivanim came and they they destroyed, um, they, they actually breached the walls of the inside of the uh, Har Habayit, we know they breached the walls of the hill. Fartu Chomot Migdalai Vitim U Kol Hashmanim, the famous Neis Pach Hashemen. Uminotar Kan Kanim Naasan Neis Lashoshanim from the remainder uh, of the Kan Kanim of the little jugs of oil. Uh, a Neis was done to uh, the Jewish people. Shoshanim is uh, the Jews, and uh, and we Bnei Vina Yemeshmona Kavushiyurunanim. So we, the the uh, smart people, Bnei Vina, sages, Yemei Shmona, Kavushir Unanim, they said, they ordained that there should be eight songs, eight days of song and, and praise. The last stanza is this Jew, Mordechai, in Germany in the 1200s, slaughter all around, crusades, slaughtering Jews, No, nothing to hang on to, but his faith in God. Really, he, he has no way of picking up arms. He has no way of protecting himself. And so he says, he sings to God, and I understand that over the the generations, this part might have been censored out uh, during certain periods of time, and they, they did not appear in, in in some of the written versions that we have of uh, Maoz Tzur. Chasof zroah kotshecha, bear your holy arm, meaning get ready prepare your your arm your hand to fight right uh we have the 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 concept uh, in the shira you have it a, a few places that um the the hand of god is the is the weapon so to speak is the warrior the karev and and bring closer the time of salvation, Nekom Nikmata Vadecha, he's calling for Nekama, Nekom Nikmata Mavadecha Hashafuch, we have in Avinu Malkeinu, wreak vengeance, vengeance upon the wicked nations. This is the stirrings in the heart of a very angry and scared Jew. Ki archa hasha'a ve'in ketzli It's taken way too long. Archa hasha'a means the hour has just been delayed for a very long time. It's very long. Ve'in ketzli It's like the endless, endless evil days. The days of Jewish suffering of almost 2,000 years in Galut. This was, imagine, in the 1200s. Imagine how the Jews felt in the 1400s, in the 1600s, when they were going through horrible 1400s inquisitions, and the 1600s, tachvatat, totally crazy things, and of course the Holocaust. Everything that we've gone through is coming out. He's pouring all of this pain out. Ki It's like endless. The admon, the red one, and who is that? That's, of course, Esav. And Chazal referred to Esav as Edom, and called this Galut Edom. It's a euphemism. Betzel Salmon. In the shadows, So it's the, the cell of the Mavet. Salmon also could be, though, 
a tselem is a um, is a statue. Tselem b'hayichal, right? Lo taselcha pesavokol tumna. No, but that doesn't have the word tselem in it. But there is a there is a tselem. You're not allowed to make a tselem. Man is made b'tselem elokim. So that's the 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 icon. So it could be that he's referring here to Christianity. And then Hakim Lanagur Im Shiva bring the final redemption. The the the, the uh, seven shepherds are a uh, for Micha a, a metaphor for the Geula, the seven shepherds that are gonna bring us from the oppression. And so yes, if you wanna compare where we are now and where this song was composed not only is it appropriate to add this extra stanza, it's almost like it, it almost like begs it. How could we be standing in a situation that is so different from the situation that this song was written in and sing it as if it is totally relevant to our time without adding a stanza that says, hey, wait, it's not, we're not in the situation of the Jew in the 1200s, in the 1400s, in the 1600s, during the Holocaust. We're in a different place. And is it an element of lack of gratitude or lack of understanding, as we said earlier on Jamie and the AM when I was speaking with Nachum, Ein Baal Hanes you saw the person who's the miracle is happening to doesn't usually understand that he's in the midst of a miracle. You you can't understand that you're in the miracle because it's you're in it. You need to pull back and, and look at it from a side in order to understand how great the miracle is. So it behooves us to say thank you to God. And and what greater time is there than this when we are celebrating a victory in the land of Israel of a Jewish army that defeated the Greeks that came back to Yerushalayim that was able to rededicate the Mikdash that's still ahead of us and that that, as the Rambam says Chazra Malchut Israel, the Jewish people came back to sovereignty there's now sovereignty in the land of Israel of Jewish kings it went on for a while, over a hundred years. It fell apart. Why? For the same reason that the Jews ended up in Egypt. For the same reason that the second Beit HaMikdash was destroyed. Because we couldn't be united. And it ended up in a fight and bringing in the Greeks. I mean the Romans, I'm sorry. So nothing's changed and everything's changed. That's really the message. And I think that's a beautiful thing that they've done. Yochai, Ben Avi, they don't get enough credit for it. It really needs to be pointed out. And, and if you don't like those words, you know, make up another stanza. Just um, let us show our thanks and praise to God for the greatness that he's done. Okay, we're going to go to uh, a Hanukkah classic, Lechvot HaChanukah. This is... Um, a remake of the uh, famous song by a, a group called Avodot Afar. The the words were by uh, are by Chaim Nachman Bialik. If you remember a few years ago, as as we see what's happening now in the south of Israel, with almost the daily um, sprinkling of uh, rocket fire into Israel. They call it sprinkles, like rain, you know, tif tuf. But, um, you know, when, when, when your house gets hit, it's not such a tif tuf. So if you remember a few years back, one of the times that Israel had to uh, amass its forces on the border of Gaza and enter Gaza, the army entered full-blown was in um, Operation Kestled, Oferet Yitzukah. It was around Purim time, and the words, oh, for the term Ofer Yitzukah comes from this song written by Chaim Nachman Bialik uh, many decades before. It describes the Sivivon, the dreidel, as being made from Oferet Yitzukah, cast lead. 
And this is a really nice version of it. Avodot Afar, off of Omanim Mivatzim Shirei Hanukkah. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You are tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. Just love that one. Goes back a year or two, no more, two or three years probably. And uh, as new music comes out, and we are um, watching the feed of the new music out of Israel, we noticed that for Hanukkah, in honor of Hanukkah, a remake, what we call a cover of a 1971 classic of Naomi Shemer called Shivchei Maoz, was released by uh, Idan Portal and Alon Leon Hillel. Ido Portal, uh, we've played a few of his things, one of the um, very creative, young, religious uh, artists in Israel today. And uh, he very quickly, he writes that he very quickly put this together within, I think, a week. They had it all done and recorded. Um, Very nice version of it, and it brought me to thinking about the song Shivchei Maoz of course I know it, it was a big hit in Israel in in the 70s and uh, I wanted to understand more about it the song starts with the line Maoz Tzur Yeshuati Lachan Na'el Shabayach it has three stanzas and each stanza starts with Maoz Tzur Yeshuati not the rest of the first stanza starts with Lachan Shabayach the other ones start with Mivtari Kesh V'Kisheach Bekrav and Ketzi Natsech, and so forth. It was written by Nomi Shemer, the words and, and the lyrics, and I wanted to find out more about it and see what connection it had to Hanukkah, why she used Maoz Tzurishwati, and so forth. It turns out, and this is a story told by many, including by her son, Ariel Horowitz, who we recorded the song at some point. There's a lot of different uh, covers for this song. turns out that in 1971, Remember, the war of attrition was going on in the Sinai. Um, this is a often overlooked war that um, happened after 1967, after the Six-Day War and the, the trouncing and humiliation of uh, Egypt and the other Arab armies. Um, somewhat after that, going uh, surely 70-71 was the height of it, um, the Egyptians started what they called the War of Attrition. They just would shell and bomb and, and attack, try and attack from afar the, uh, the Sinai um, desert, the, the Jewish troops. There weren't any 
settlements there or anything where they were attacking the Jewish troops, the Israeli army forces that were there. And uh, over time, the Israeli army built Ma'ozim, these uh, small forts, fortresses. They built a line across, along, I should say, parallel to the Suez Canal. It was called Kav Barlev, the Barlev line, I guess named similar to the Maginot line in France of World War One, although they both had a very similar sad ending, which we'll get to. So these Mivtsarim or Ma'ozim were uh, dug into the into the Sinai along the uh, the um, Suez Canal coast, and soldiers would live in these for periods of time, uh, either as regular soldiers or as Miluim soldiers, reservists. And um, she came to visit. She wanted to see how they lived and so forth. She was supposed to be writing uh, some songs for a um, tribute to the IDF and would would be performed by one of the IDF um, choral uh, ensembles. They used to have that back in the day. Um... And she was shown by some soldiers, she was shown a Hanukkah made of empty shell casings. And they would take this big empty shell casing and put stuff in it that can be lit and every night would light one more. And this was on the shore of the eastern side of the Suez Canal. On the western side of the Suez Canal, the Egyptians were watching and they would see every night the, the lighting of the candles, I don't know if they understood the triumphant feeling that uh, the Jews had, the Ma'atim, the Rabim Miyad Ma'atim Tmeim Torim. And the soldiers told her that they would stand every night and light the candles and sing very loudly, as loud as they could as a group, in order for the Egyptian soldiers on the other side to hear them, they would sing Ma'oz Tzur. And based on that, she ended up writing this song. That's what is told by her son, Ariel Horowitz, and others about how this song came about. Now, the song is taking Ma'oz Tzur and twisting it. Because in the original song, the fortress, the rock that we rely on is God. And here, in her song, the rock that we rely on is the fortress, the army, the fortresses, and so forth. There are a lot of similarities. She writes, She's going underground in the tunnels because they were dug underground, and she talks about the different underground tunnels and fortresses and caves and, and so forth which very much reminds us of some of the stories of the Maccabim. Uvinikrotsurim could remind us a little bit about Moshe and Eliyahu, but especially Eliyahu, who goes to the Nikvatatsur, which, which obviously the word Tzur is, is actually talking to, so to speak, is having this conversation between the Tzur of Tzur Yeshuati and the Nikrat Tzur. Um, and she talks about Eisham Belev Halayla, in the dead of the night, Daruch Vacharishi, I'm, I'm ready, I'm ready to, to fight, so to speak, but I'm silent. Mabit Nafshi, from the other side, she says, the person who wants to take my nefesh, the person who wants to kill me is looking at me. She's and then another stanza, he's, he's waiting, waiting to, uh, to kill me. And so on one hand, she's talking about how this is the fortress that I'm today relying on. At the same time, the people in the fortress are constantly being watched by the enemy across the, the Suez Canal who want to kill me. At the end, the last sentence says, Avoilo me'okzi, va'avoilo me'divshi, 
אבוי למבקש נפשי. אוי אוי to the one who wants to kill me. Meaning, don't, don't you worry, I'm going to get you. And she uses this term, which is an old a phrase that we have. I don't remember if it's biblical or rabbinic, but the idea meaning, you're, you, 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 don't look for my good and don't look for me. You, either way, you're, you're going to be in trouble. Whether I use my stinger or I use the honey, like from the bee. And obviously, she later on in life, years later, uses this metaphor for al-hadvash al-ha'oketz, right? And that's where she's, she's taking it from ancient sources and, and then t- took it from herself in, uh, in the famous song. Um, how do we look at this? I, I'm a little surprised that Nomi Shemer is so... very forceful about that the Ma'oz, as if she's saying, it's not God, because in the original song, the Ma'oz, the fortress, the strength that we were looking toward was God. And now, now it's the army. So, did she mean that in that sense? Maybe Israel was so full of itself, let's say, in, uh, in 1960, after 1967 and before 1973, Israel was so full of itself and so egotistical and so haughty they didn't think that anyone can can do anything to them you know and we can rely on ourselves and we don't need any help from anybody and maybe she was also part of that I don't know hard to say um, she she is saying for sure um, she's talking about how The enemy better watch out, but she at the same time talks about the enemy that's all the time there and and watching and waiting to kill me. What's important um, what's important to remember is that two years later, after the song is written in October of 1973, this entire line, the Barlev line, all the Mauzin, the fortresses that that is Herzur Yeshuati, they all fell. They were all overrun. All the soldiers were either killed or ran away or taken hostage or taken prisoner of war. And so, yes, we have to find that middle ground. That's, I think, the lesson from the whole thing. Between the Jew in the 1200s in Germany who was totally paralyzed, non-active, he can just sit and wait asking God's hand to come. And between the Ma'oz Tzor of Naomi Shemer, which seems to leave out God, and says we can rely on ourselves, after 1973, I think even the secular Israelis would say, we have to find that middle ground. We have to know that we can't get anywhere without believing that God is there to help us. He is our real God. Ma'oz Tzor Yeshuati but I also I'm not going to be passive and just wait around for the Crusaders to come or the Inquisition to come or Chamlinitsky to come or the Nazis to come and Baruch Hashem I think today we've managed to find somewhat of that middle ground and it's a learning process we have to learn as a nation hopefully by this time we have So here is that cover of Naomi Shemer's Shivchei uh, Ma'oz, Ido Portal, Alon Leon Hillel, debuting it here on The Israel Show. My name is Mayor Weingart. You're tuned to the Nachum Siegel Network. Thanks so much for making us a part of your week.
Beautiful cover of Naomi Shemer's Most Rishwati. I do want to point out interesting uh, lecture, Shior, that um, was called to my attention. It's given by Rabbi Tzvi Sinensky, S-I-N-E-N-S-K-Y. Rabbi Tzvi Sinensky, um, who is uh, heads up, uh, I believe it's the uh, Bet Midrash program. I'm not don't want to get that wrong, but he's one of the chief educators over at Kohelet in um, Pennsylvania. And um, a lot of his stuff is very good. I really enjoy it. He is obviously very, very erudite and a tremendous scholar, Talmud Chacham. Um, And he gave a lecture about the logo, the, the, the coat of arms or whatever you want to call it of the state of Israel and it is of course the Minorah as it appears on the Arch of Titus and it is surrounded by two olive branches and the word Yisrael underneath in the middle and um, Rabbi Sinensky tries to um, understand what the sources that brought the designers to this might have been and it's fascinating and um, ties into the Haftarah of Shabbat Hanukkah and other things. So um, it's on YUTorah, YUTorah.org. Just do a search for Tzvi Sinensky, S-I-N-E-N-S-K-Y, the menorah and the modern state of Israel is what it is called. And uh, I think you'll enjoy it. It's very interesting. Uh, The New York Times, a former newspaper, had an editorial, of course, blasting President Trump about his what I would say is bold new Jerusalem policy. And, you know, everything about it is wrong. (laughs) Everything about it is wrong-headed. But there's one thing in here, I mean, there's a lot of things in here that get me. There's one sentence in here that is just you know, blows you, blows your mind. It's just how disingenuous could they be? 
Here it is. This is the paragraph. I'm going to read the paragraph for you. Palestinians anticipated being able to locate their capital in East Jerusalem and to have access to Muslim holy sites there. East Jerusalem was exclusively Arab in 1967, but Israel has steadily built settlements there, placing some 200,000 of its citizens among the Arab population and complicating any possible peace agreement. Okay. According to the New York Times... The Palestinians, and it just seems so obvious, they want to locate their capital in East Jerusalem. They won't tell you how there became, how, how there suddenly were two Jerusalems. How is it that after thousands of years of history, the Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem becomes an East Jerusalem and a West Jerusalem? They don't tell you that, that that's the result of a war that the Arabs started. And that the fact that the city ended up being a border city and having a wall go through it, like Berlin, the only two cities in the world at the time. How did that happen? The fact is that unfortunately Israel didn't manage to get a hold of the entire city of Yushalayim in the war of 1947, 48, 49, the war of independence. The Arab Legion, the Jordanian army, helped by others, captured what they call East Jerusalem by force against the UN partition plan that Israel accepted What makes that holy? What, what, why should that be accepted by anybody as anything other than armistice lines? Why should the Palestinians say they want their capital in East Jerusalem? Who cared? They didn't care about East Jerusalem one whit. They didn't care about Jerusalem at all, pretty much. I mean, they had some ties to it. It's the third holiest site in, in Islam, the third. But throughout the generations, there wasn't much attention given to Jerusalem. There was to Mecca, there was to Medina, but not to Jerusalem. But of course, when the Jews have it, they want it. So how did it become that in 1967, East Jerusalem was exclusively Arab? The answer is, the Arabs threw the Jews out. They slaughtered the Jews, and the Jews did everything they could to escape the slaughter. We know that they totally destroyed the Jewish quarter. They ripped down and totally destroyed all the shuls, they took the cemetery, we've discussed this on the Mount of Olives, the oldest Jewish cemetery, and bulldozed the top of it and built a hotel in its place. The Jews either were killed, taken prisoner, very few, very few, most of them were killed, or ran away. So the aggressor who massacres the innocent men, women, and children, causes them to flee, somehow in the, in the eyes of the New York Times now should be rewarded. Can it get more insane? Yeah, it does. It gets more insane all the time. But just when you read a sentence like that, huh? and what did Israel do? Oh, steadily built settlements there. Settlements, you understand? They built settlements in Yerushalayim. That's, that's their way of viewing it. And until recently, that was the United States policy. That Ramat Eshkol and Gilo and everything else that is built beyond the quote-unquote green line, these are all settlements. Were there Jews in many of these places before 1948? Oh, you better, you bet there were. There were Jews living in the old city, in the East Jerusalem part. There was the famous Jewish quarter. Tons of, until the late 1800s, mid-1800s, late-1800s, that was the only place Jews lived in Jerusalem, was in the old city. Not until Moses Montefiore came and opened things up 
and and built housing. That's how he dealt with the housing crunch in the old city. He built houses outside of the old city and paid people to live there. Now, here's another thing the New York Times seems to forget. The demographics of Jerusalem, the population of Yerushalayim, starting in 1844, you understand? 1844, before there was any Zionist movement, there were more Jews than Muslims in Yerushalayim. And at that point, as I mentioned, it's only the old city of Yerushalayim. There are 5,000 Muslims approximately and 7,000 Jews. 1876, there's 12,000 Jews and 7,500 Muslims. In 1896, 20 years later, the Jews more than doubled. There's now 28,000 Jews. The, the Muslims didn't add much, 8,560. In 1922, this is when the Arabs start rioting and so forth. There are 33, almost 34,000 Jews living in Yerushalayim and 13,000 Arabs. There's two and a half times more Jews than Arabs in Jerusalem in 1922, just when the British start their, almost the beginning of the British mandate. So these numbers are pretty solid. 1931, there are 51,000 Jews and 20,000 Arabs. Again, more than double the Jews than Arabs. So, is it shocking, I guess, when the New York Times says that East Jerusalem was exclusively Arab in 1967, that they don't say why? That they even... Oh, that's such a crazy sentence. You know, it's like saying, you know, that in... uh, 1900s, there were no Indians living in America. I don't know what the Indians want or why they even have any claim. I wonder if the New York Times would ever say something like that. Would they? It's not politically correct, but would they say that? I wonder. Oh, yo, yo. And by the way, n- not not to do with this particular issue, I'm going to try and read a report came out this morning. It was in the headlines in Israel. I, I don't know if it was in the headlines in the States. I haven't had a chance yet to look. My feeling is that the media here, which is um, such a big, they are such big fans of uh, former President Obama, they, they're not going to give this a lot of uh, a lot of exposure, and of course, if the media doesn't talk about it, it's as if it didn't happen. There's a story, long story, in Politico, which is a website, politico.com. Or you can just do a search, and I'll tell you in a minute what to search for. The secret backstory of how President Obama let Hezbollah off the hook. An ambitious, there was an ambitious U.S. task force that was targeting Hezbollah's billion-dollar criminal enterprise, and it was a drug enterprise. The Hezbollah, to make money and support itself, became a drug dealer, a major, major drug trafficker. Laundering money and other things. And there was a U.S. task force, and, and the operation that they were running was called Cassandra, we're targeting the Hezbollah's billion-dollar criminal enterprise. This really ties in with the book Harpoon um, that Nachum um, discussed on his uh, show a few weeks ago when he um, interviewed the um, the author Nitzana Darshan Leitner. If you haven't read it, you should. It's great. Where Israel really started this idea, the Mossad, of going after the money that if you if you dry up their money, the terrorists will not be at, able to operate. So here, the U.S. is finally doing that. They start this enterprise, this idea, I guess it was the CIA, together with other branches of government, 
to target the money flow of Hezbollah. Hezbollah, who is, according to the United States' own State Department, not a big lover of Israel, is considered a, um, a terrorist organization. Hezbollah that targets with rockets Israeli innocent civilians throughout the north of Israel that control the whole south of Lebanon. All these horrible people. President Obama made sure that this operation is not carried out because Hezbollah is a client of Iran and the United States needed to get to a deal with Iran as fast as possible but at the end of the day it had to happen before President Obama left left power left the presidency so this is shocking the President of the United States says to U.S. government agencies, no, no, don't go after the Hezbollah, the terrorists, the murderers. Don't go after their money. It's going to get Iran upset. We've come a long way, haven't we? Okay. Let's see. We're going to end off with yet another Maoz Tzur. This is one of my favorites by Tamar Kapsuto. And we'll do that right after we say thank you. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for all your Facebook likes and comments. Thanks to the staff of the Nachum Siegel Network. And my very special thanks, as always, to Nachum Siegel. Coming up on the Nachum Siegel Network, Yoni Pollock and Seth Gordon with After Further Review, covering the latest in the world of sports. And then the great Monday Music Marathon. Until next Monday, immediately following JM and AM, this is Mayor Weingarten wishing you a happy Hanukkah, a Chodesh Tov, and reminding you that nice guys do not finish last. They're just running in a different race. Shabbat